the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our text this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. This is a very uh, familiar passage to uh, all of us Bible-believing Christians. And I'm sure once we read it, and we will read it momentarily, that you will begin to recognize that this, this is one of those passages that uh, we can readily bring right in front of us and, uh, and, and recite and quote in order to give us encouragement. Uh, I once visited a terminally ill mother of one of my friends in a convalescent home, and her conditions has gotten worse over time, and it's gotten to a point when she no longer was able to talk, uh, much less uh, move or do anything uh, that requires any physical effort. I could sense that uh, she was in, great, in a great deal of pain because of the illness that she had. Uh, physical pain and moments like that are always difficult when you're visiting someone because you just don't know what to say that'll make a person feel better about what they're going through uh, but for some reason and this doesn't happen to me very often uh, it seems like th the Spirit of God is whispering to me read to her Ephesians chapter 6 verses 6 of uh, verses 14 to 18 and again, let me say, I, I mean, I don't have a direct line in heaven where I can hear God's voice telling me things. But there's that urging in the inside of me that says, uh, you really need to read this to her. And I kind of hesitated because uh, this, this passage is not talking about, you know, anything else but the armor of, of God when we're doing our spiritual warfare. I was thinking of doing uh, a reading on Psalm 23, but then again I decided I don't want to read that because uh, most people associate Psalm 23 uh, during graveside services, and she's still alive, so I, I didn't want to do that. Uh, but somehow God uh, has been, you know, encouraging me uh, to say these words. So as I gave her some small talk of encouragement, uh, I asked her to, to, to find out if she's being taken care of well in a, in a, in a place, in that convalescent home, and she seems to acknowledge that uh, uh, she was doing all right as far as her care is concerned. But I cannot escape that aura of hopelessness in her eyes. Then it dawned on me, that she wasn't struggling so much with her physical pain. She was really afraid. She was afraid that at any moment she was going to die. There's a real battle going on in her life at that very moment, and it wasn't physical. It was actually a strong spiritual battle. She's lost all hope of ever recovering, and now she's facing the prospect of death and she was terrified. And so it made sense to me to read to her Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, actually. But we're going to begin reading verse 14. 
Paul wrote this to the Ephesian Christians. He said, Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish from which we can, you, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Then it made sense to me to read to her all of those eight Verses because the, those eight verses in scriptures talks about our armor of hope. It talks about hope. Now I realize that the word hope uh, is nowhere to be found in these verses. Nevertheless, they are infused with spiritual hope. Hope is the real victory that we have in our spiritual warfare. Hope is like joy. It only comes from God. We cannot manufacture or reproduce real hope like joy. We cannot do that. We cannot reproduce or manufacture joy. Joy and hope has to come from God. It's a supernatural enablement that comes from heaven. All joys and all hopes that we have here on earth they're all temporal they will not last because real hope and real joy has to come down from heaven and let me remind you the devil's most lethal weapon against god's people are not physical afflictions they're not the problems that come our way day in and day out it's not this covid pandemic it's the hopelessness that we deal with as we battle the spiritual forces that we engage in as God's people. But praise God, He has given us an armor, an armor of hope. And again, let me say it as I say every time, this armor is not a what, it's a who. It is Jesus. Speaking of putting on Jesus, who is our armor of hope. Not everything we put our hope on is secure. Not everything we say we hope in will satisfy us. People will give us hope, but they will not last. People are people. We're all people. We're always going to fail to give lasting hope. Prosperity. Doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank. Doesn't matter how successful we are in our trade, in our business. I mean, those are good things. I mean, if you're prosperous, praise God, give to church. But prosperity doesn't guarantee that you will have any kind of lasting hope. Popularity. You can be a popular person. You can be a well-together, all-together, put-together kind of a person, but that's not going to last. Hope only becomes a reality when we put it on Jesus, when we put it on the Lord. And our text gives us those seven realities that secures our eternal hope. 
the seven realities of our hopes. Let me name of our hope. Let me name them one by one. Number one is truth. Truth gives us hope. Secondly, righteousness. Righteousness gives us hope. Peace gives us hope. Faith gives us hope. Salvation gives us hope. The Word of God gives us hope. And of course, prayer gives us hope. They are the seven realities foundational in making our hope secure. So this morning, if you have any doubts as to the meaning and purpose of life or to your eternal destiny, these seven things I hope will clarify many spiritual questions you may have about who you are in Christ. Let's talk about the first reality, the reality of knowing the truth. Why is truth truth so important? And why is it connected to our eternal hope? Well, truth keeps us honest with our convictions. Oh, that is so important to us as Christians. Our convictions are everything. And if our convictions are based on truth, we will have eternal hope. When we talk about truth, what are we talking about? We're talking about standing for the things we believe to be right. That's what we talk about when we talk about truth. Standing for what the things that we believe to be right in the sight of God. It's our belief system. It's our worldview. It's the way we see the world. It's the way we see things around us. That's so important to us as Christians. That's how we build our lives. And we build our lives on the strength of those convictions. Truth keeps us honest with our convictions. Okay, because you can have convictions right now about a great many things. But many of those convictions may be dishonest, right? We may be following certain convictions that we have, and I don't have time to name many of those convictions. But without the foundation of truth, without a worldview that is focused on the teachings of Jesus, uh, we will violate those convictions. I know I have. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me and you. <laughs> I want to make that clear. So truth keeps us honest with our conviction. Show me a person without a strong set of convictions, and I'll show you a person who has no sense of direction in life. All right? That person runs around looking for stability and not finding it. No convictions, no hope for a stability in life. A man without, listen to this, a man without convictions is like a man with a 30-inch waist and keeps on wearing a 40-inch pants. And what does he do? He runs around holding that loose pants, trying to keep it up, but it stifles his life. He stifles his movements. He cannot stay stable because the pants keep falling down. And what does the Bible says about truth? Our passage says it clearly. Put on the belt of truth. So this man had to put on a belt in order to stabilize his movements. The same thing is true with all of us. Truth is the belt. It's a belt that keeps our conviction strong and it brings for a stable and strong Christian life, your conviction will not keep on falling down because it's belted. It's secured by truth. Do you have a strong conviction? Conviction, set of convictions? 
what are they based on? Because it makes a difference where we base our convictions on. If you base it on truth, there will be stability and there will be directions. Let me say that if you frame your convictions on the teachings of Jesus, you will not only stand strong, but your hope will be secure. When evil days come, such as what we're going through right now, your hope will be secure. Those convictions will lead to the reality of the hope of heaven one day. We're not surprised that we're being hit by this pandemic. We're not surprised by the passing of someone we love, the tragedies that are common to human life, because they're part of living in a fallen world. What is our strong stand? It's the hope that we have. And what secures that hope? It's the truth of the words of Christ. Now, there's a second reality, and that is the reality of righteousness. Righteousness keeps us conscious about moral purity. Okay? The Bible says in our text, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, how does righteousness secure our hope? When the Bible talks about righteousness, it's talking about being placed on the correct side of God's moral law. You and I are righteous not because we do good things. We are righteous because we have been placed in that position. My position before I became a Christian was against the moral law of God. I was an immoral person and I did a lot of good things. But when I met Jesus, I received a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that I didn't invent, a righteousness that I didn't have to work for or work on. It was demonstrated to me by Jesus. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, placed me in that position of righteousness. And guess what? Same with you. Once you have been placed in that position, you are now standing on the correct side of God's moral law. There is a right and there is a wrong. There are moral absolutes. When we are not clear on the issue of what moral purity is, when we begin to justify the things according to how we see or feel about it, then we lose all kinds of hope. Because God's law, God's moral standing doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't change. I was watching the news the other day about a group of Christians. Listen to me very carefully before you pass judgment on me, okay? I was watching the news about a group of Christians wearing a t-shirt that says, guess what? Black lives matter. All right? Black lives matter, right? In big, bold letters, okay? In front of this big building, all right? Now, I didn't see anything, you know, particularly suspicious, right? They were, I've been watching television and everybody's wearing these t-shirts nowadays, right? Athletes, you watch an NBA game, they're all wearing it. Baseball, they're all wearing it. So it, to me, well, this is another news thing and all of that, but there's a problem. They called the cops on these guys because they were writing things on the floor, on the, on the sidewalk where that building that they're, you know, standing with this thing on. They were writing scriptural verses. And the cops got called, and they were being threatened to be arrested. And I said, what's going on? Until you look closely at the T-shirt. The T-shirt actually says, Black unborn lives matter. 
and they were protesting outside an abortion clinic. They were going to get arrested, all right? Now, listen, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. We need to talk about this in an in-house way, all right? John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't say he loved some people. He didn't say he loved some group of people. He didn't say he loved some nation. He says he loved the world. Okay? That's God's moral position. His love extends to everybody. Whether you are standing here listening to me or you have been conceived from the mind of God and you're still in the womb. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't want me to talk about this in a political way. You need to, to listen to me in a moral, spiritual way. God loves all people, all lives matter to God. All right? But why is there a confusion? Because there's no strong moral high ground anymore. People are inventing their own righteousness. And they're saying, this righteousness is good here as long as it pertains to this set of rules. But you can do the very same thing, but I'm going to get you in trouble because this is not how I want to see it. This is not how I interpret righteousness. We're living in much troubled times. When felons are getting let out of jail and we're going to be threatened to go to jail because we're worshiping the Lord. What is this? Is this something for us to be worried about? No, it needs to give us clarity that we're standing on the hope of our righteousness. All right? This is not and will never be a political issue for us. It will always be a biblical moral issue. Okay, You see, when we talk to people about righteousness, and I want you to listen to this. If you're a Christian, when you talk to about righteousness, the very first thing you're going to hear is that you are judgmental. You are t telling, telling me that you're holier than I am. Isn't that what you hear all the time? What are you? You're more righteous than I am? Nothing can be further from the truth. I don't care about what people think. My practice of righteousness. I don't live this righteousness for the sake of people. I live it before the sight of God. God is my only audience. God is your only audience. We do these things. We stand on God's moral law on the basis of God as our audience, not the people. Why do you think they killed the disciples? Why do you think they crucified Jesus? Because they refused to be righteous on the basis of what the world says. Their righteousness was geared towards honoring and glorifying God. We're not superior to other people. We're not saying that we're better than other people. We're standing on this revealed truth and righteousness on the basis of the fact that God is going to judge us according to the righteousness that he has given us. You need to see that, and I need to see that. Our hunger and thirst and pursuit of righteousness has nothing to do with what we want people to see. It has everything to do with what we want God to see us become. You know, you're being conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus. That's what God's doing to you right now. Why are you at church this morning? Why? 
And those of you watching, uh, why do you even bother to watch? I tell you why. Conviction, and you know it's the right thing to do. Are you doing this out of your own desire? No. This is what God placed in your heart. So you have that inclination to lift up the name of the Lord and worship Him and praise Him. That's what's going on here. You don't care about what the neighbor says. You know, why are those people li lifting up their hands? It doesn't matter what they say. Why are those people not practicing this or practicing that? They're not conforming to the system of this world. Hey, this world is not our home. We're passing through. We live here. We enjoy the fruits of this, this God-given world. But I have a better home in heaven. I have a better home where Jesus is, where there's no place for pain and suffering. Our righteousness is for God and God alone. Our righteousness is not for the world. It's intended to worship God. I'm, I'm not trying my hardest to live right for God or for anyone else. It is my act of worship towards God. It is Him I want to please, not anybody else. You know what David said when he sinned by having this affair with Bathsheba, which caused the death of Bathsheba's husband? When God finally confronted David, you know what David said to God? Lord, only to you have I sinned. His audience is God. Your audience is God. He's the only one that matters. Jesus, while he was being taken to the cross, while they're pushing those nails on his hands, you know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know what Jesus is saying? Lord, God, these people have no idea how you will deal with wickedness. And so forgive them because they don't know that they're violating your righteousness. That's what I did when I repented of my sin. I didn't care about what my mother said. I didn't care what my father said. I didn't care what anybody said. I didn't care what pastor said. When I got on my knees and repented of my sin to God, it is God alone that I want forgiveness from. And then the rest will follow after. All of us will give and receive forgiveness. There is a right and a wrong. There are moral absolutes. And only the Holy Spirit of God can make a person conscious of God's moral law. When I speak against lifestyle, when we go against lifestyles that are not contrary to what God says, we're not attacking people. We're not attacking people if they're engaged in whatever it is that they're trying to engage. We want to win them and get them to heaven. That's my motivation. That's your motivation. We don't try to say people, hey, God hates you because I'm more righteous than you and all of that. None of that nonsense. We want them saved because like this Jonathan Edwards says, and I'm not a big follower of Jonathan Edwards, but he says, you know, pity is the person who has to face the judgment of an angry God because God hates sin. He hates it so much he wanted to kill everybody but decided to kill Jesus instead. So when we speak out against sin, we're not saying we're better than people. We're saying we want to honor and praise God. There's a third reality that secures our hope, and that is peace. Peace keeps us focused on the cross. Peace keeps us focused on the cross. Look at the, what the verse says. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
Peace keeps us focused on the power of the cross of Jesus. The cross achieves for us both temporal and eternal peace. When you have peace with God, when you receive the peace of God, and peace from God, I know you're tired of me saying that all the time, your hope and mind are much more secure. In fact, peace inside a person's heart helps him conquer any kind of anxieties, okay? Local anxieties and global anxieties. We have some personal anxieties and we have like world anxieties, you know. We have rising unemployment. We have this pandemic messing everybody up. We have all kinds of internal issues that we have to deal with as well. And where do we go to for hope? We don't go to the government to give us hope. I, I, you know, we, we, we put those people in power so that they'll exercise wisdom and we pray for them so that they exercise wi wisdom. But when push comes to shove, my hope is in the Lord. 